Hello and welcome to The Stack. This week, we welcome back Magnus Greaves, publisher of Formula One premium title Race Weekend. Also on the show, an exciting new Welsh launch, The Paper. And we pay a visit to Scotland's only typewriter repair shop. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. To start the show, we welcome back Magnus Greaves, co-founder and publisher of Formula One title Race Weekend. The beautiful publication is a celebration of the circuits, cities, and culture of the Race Weekend, with award-winning photography and cutting-edge design. Let's hear it from Magnus. So fundamentally, Rev Journal, which is where we started out eight years ago, was about the culture and lifestyle of Formula One. So the circuits, the cities, and culture. So Race Weekend is about the same, but we've taken it to another level. We were inspired during the pandemic when everybody was stuck at home and the Netflix series came out about Formula One and the whole audience globally, and particularly in the United States, blew up and interest blew up in Formula One. And we just sort of had a bit of a moment and we realized that a physical product that captured the sport that could be sent to people at home was more important than ever. So we took it to another level. The size of it increased, the photography, the areas of focus, and we just kind of doubled down on the culture and the lifestyle and ended up with Race Weekend. And the reaction to it has been just fantastic. And, you know, before we talk more about Race Weekend, I mean, let's talk about Formula One. I mean, it's booming, actually, outside the sport itself. I mean, we had Brad Pitt recently being pictured here in England for the Grand Prix. You know, there's a lot of buzz around, right? And, and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure you're happy with that. Well, it's changed everything. I mean, our original thesis when we started the magazine was surely the world's fastest, you know, car racing and the most glamorous sport would one day be big in the United States, given their obsession with cars and racing and sports. Again, we didn't realize it would take a, a pandemic and a Netflix show to, to make it happen. But you're right that the way the Netflix show was done brought people into the sport, looking at the personalities and the drama and the culture and the lifestyle, and not just starting from the point of racing. So it's brought in completely different uh, audience that was sort of watching than the audience that was watching Formula One previously. And it's also just brought interest in all these other aspects of the sport. Also, the people that came into it five years ago, they just want to know more and more and more. So that's why you have Brad Pitt creating this film about Formula One. You have Keanu Reeves, I believe, narrating a documentary about Formula One. You have TV shows coming out about Formula One. And so luckily, you know, I think the angle that we took initially sits nicely alongside, you know, those other things and people's interest to go deeper into the sport in a very visual and exciting way. And that's what we've aimed to, to sort of slot ourselves in there. And I was looking at your website. So tell us, you know, about the format. I know it's larger, as I said, beautiful photography. So people can buy some packs with four issues as well on your website. But will you sell them individually as well? So explain to us if, if perhaps someone that is just finding out about Race Weekend right now. So we sell the magazines as a collection of four. So we have collection one, and each issue 
covers a big topic within Formula One. Formula One in the 1970s, Jet Set, which is all the destinations, Formula One in the USA, and then World Champions, where we break down every dominant champion since the beginning of Formula One. So the reason we've done that is there's a couple of reasons why. One thing is that the, you know, as you know, and as so many of your guests know, that the fundamental business model of a magazine and the traditional newsstand is just broken. And so we wanted to approach it in a different way. And what we did was we studied the direct-to-consumer business model. And we realized that if you can sell mattresses and glasses direct-to-consumers, surely a flat, light, beautiful product like a magazine, you know, would fit into that model as well. And once we plugged into that business model, a lot of things opened up to us. So we realized that we didn't need to fill up the magazine with ads. In fact, we have no ads mm. because that's not our business model. And it also allows us to really go all in on creating the most beautiful magazine that we can. The other thing that we realized is that 98% of Formula One fans will never go and see a race, you know, either during the year or pretty much during their lifetime. And so a lot of people are asking, why do we do something in print? Well, if you're not going to a race and you can't just go down the street and buy merchandise, the idea of this beautiful magazine showing up kind of has a little bit more, more of an impact. So putting the magazines together as collections works for us just in terms of the, the business model. It works for the fans in terms of the topics that we cover because they're evergreen topics. So Formula One in the 1970s, if you were introduced to race weekend last year and you bought it, it's just as relevant to the person that discovers race weekend next year and buys it. And that's what we wanted to do as well, was just build up an archive of magazines that people can collect and continue to learn from. So we've just announced collection number two, and we focused each issue on one of the four big Formula One teams. So Red Bull, McLaren, Ferrari, and Mercedes. And then we're going to dive into the history and, and, and modern you know, operations of each of those teams. And again, that's relevant next year or the year after whenever you discover what Race Weekend is doing. That's amazing. And and tell us about the market. Of course, I presume the U.S. is your biggest market, right? But I believe Formula One is such an international sport. So do you see people from other countries as well interested in Race Weekend? Absolutely. We have people buying Race Weekend from all over the world. But you're right that the USA is our biggest audience you know, and, and I think that's, again, to do with the Netflix effect of everything. Also, what's super interesting is that women are our biggest percentage of our subscribers as well, which is probably oh, really? in the last, oh, oh, easily, easily over 75% of people that purchase Race Weekend are women. In fact, the majority of our small team that puts the magazine together are women, and the majority of our partners that we, you know, people on social media that we partner up with are women as well. So, yeah, the demographics of Formula One has really changed. That also opens, that brings like a fresh energy, you know, better opportunities for us to do stuff with our community and to partner up and, and create new things. So, yeah, and it's funny, you know, eight years ago, I was traveling around the world chasing opportunities in Formula One. People would ask where I'm from when they heard my accent. I'd say North America, Canada, and they just thought it was irrelevant. And now those same teams and companies are reaching out because... You know, we're strategically located in North America. And I think that really highlights how much the world of Formula One has flipped. And, you know, what there's now three races in the United States. And one of them, which is the inaugural races this year, which is Las Vegas, Formula One has spent half a billion dollars putting a permanent building in Las Vegas. And so now there's going to be year round activities 
for Formula One that fans can go to. And again, I think that that reinforces how much the audience has changed and also how much the, the experience of Formula One has changed for fans. One thing that I'm, I was very curious as well looking, uh, and I think there is a poster that came out with the Race Weekend World Champions, is uh, there's the collaboration of Tiesto. I mean, tell us a bit more how did this came about. I think it's so exciting and, and quite different as well. Yeah, so that was, uh, that was fantastic. So Tiesto's been a Formula One fan for a very long time. And his new album, Drive, was inspired by Formula One. Mm. And so he was a, a knew what we were doing with Race Weekend and loved the visual aspect of what we do. And so he reached out to us to design his uh, the cover of his new album. So you can imagine. So that helmet that you see is the album cover. The timing of the release of the album was just prior to the Miami Grand Prix. So then we did a box set together. So it was his album, our magazine. We did a T-shirt together. And then we pulled in Pirelli to do a limited edition Tiesto version of their iconic podium hat. And again, you talk about the films and the TV. For us to be approached to design an album for an international superstar like Tiesto and collaborate on that level just, again, highlights how far the sport has come. That's amazing. And by the way, when you watch Formula One, do you watch as a passionate fan of someone in particular or you just like basically the whole thing. I mean, maybe you can't even review if you actually have, <laughs> if you're a fan of someone in, in particular, but. It's a terrific question. You know, <laughs> I, sometimes it's hard for me to separate the, the sport from the business. I mean, I watch every race like a fan, but sometimes I find myself just cheering for some good action that get, keeps people interested. So this year with Max Verstappen winning every race, you appreciate the excellence of what he's doing, but it's not necessarily the best for for new fans to be watching. I love when somebody finishes on the podium for the first time or finishes in sixth place when the previous best finish was 12th off the circuit. I'm a huge fan of Lewis Hamilton for everything that he's done to champion big causes and the sport itself. But yeah, I just love a good race and an unexpected result. Thank you very much, Magnus. And for more information on Race Weekend, go to raceweekend.co. And now, we head to Scotland to visit the country's only typewriter repair and bookshop that has proven a charming and eclectic addition to Edinburgh's literary and artistic community. Monaco's Maylie Evans took a visit to type wronger books to find out more. It is very crisp. Because a lot of people, when they type, they tend to type like this because they are used to keyboard. When they type that, there will be no words but if you type like hammering actions, that will have a greater, but you also hear. My name is Vivian Chen. Today we are in Taipronger, the little independent bookshop on Elm Road on Leith Walk uh, in a tiny space in Edinburgh. The minute I stepped in here, you offered me a cup of tea, which I think sets up the tone and the atmosphere of this particular space. How would you sort of describe it for someone who's yet to visit Typewronger and the atmosphere you're, you're trying to cultivate. We like to say it's a little magical bookshop. So it's book and magic and origami. <laughs> when we started the bookshop NT, especially want the space to be more than the bookshop. We want to be a place uh, of community, of artists, of people can just come in and hang out. We have this uh, row 10 uh, 
typewriters on a desk. It is a very, very old typewriter that's more than 100 years old, but fully functional. So people from all walks of life come in and try on it. But also we have a few artists uh, and students of creative arts come in and write their own novels, poetries, and do the creative work here. Uh, we have really, really good community of locals uh, who support us through pandemic, who support us to this day and introduce us to all their friends. We also have all sorts of community events pretty much three times a week from Typecast, which is a play reading group, to Open Mic. Uh, and it's always free food, free booze. So people just come and hang out all the time. So I moved to Edinburgh during the pandemic and I made pretty much all my friends through not just working bookshop, but just hanging out at the bookshop. And you've got quite an interesting um, story in terms of how this bookshop came to be in this space. Could you talk me through, I guess, the earlier iterations of Typebronger and how we ended up here? T, uh, who started this bookshop, when they started this bookshop, they just graduated or stopped working at the famous Shakespeare Company in Paris and they moved back to Edinburgh and started their own bookshop. So when they started it, uh, there's a little space on Leaf Walk that is like a police box, just the space on the road, hauling <laughs> boxes of books and just selling books next to the police box. And our wonderful colleague Derek from McNaughton's Bookshop uh, offering this particular space, which we're standing now in for a Haddington place, which used to be part of the gallery display for McNaughton's Bookshop, which is one of the oldest antiquarian bookshops in Scotland. So now we have a bookshop that is two spaces with old books and new books. I mean, you're stocking all sorts of things. I mean, earlier you said witchcraft and origami. It's quite an eclectic number of themes going on here. What tends to be quite popular with audiences or what do you see flying off the shelves? Our audience is also very eclectic. So you got a little bit of everything. One of the things definitely is witchcraft and occult. It's something that we specialise in uh, and do quite well. Another one would be that we support a lot of local artists. So a lot of local authors come in. Also, zines and a little press are our specialty. Shall we, shall we wander over? So yeah. we're just going to have a little walk over to... Oh section. Um, and maybe talk me through the process and, and why there's such an extensive collections and scenes. People used to think scenes as sort of political. For us, scenes are everything. It could be ranging from nature, writing about houseplants, to uh, poetries, and we have really, really fun things going on. We do stock our lot of Edinburgh regulars, like little living rooms. We also have artists that reach out to us um, that want to stock their own work. We also have beautiful work by Saint Simons and Saint Highly and all these wonderful artists. But more Moreover, uh, this year we are very lucky to acquire our own Rizzo Press. Uh, we host our own workshops and help artists to print their own press. If you are not sure what they are going to do, we also run this kind of workshop and help you not only design your zine, print your zine, but also how to pitch it to bookshop to sell. So we really have a fantastic community of people who would otherwise never got chance to publish or print something like this. These things are really, really popular uh, because they are really creative people who has voices who is not so much heard in the mainstream publishing world. I think if we just go around the corner here, 
here. Um, so we're going past what we got here. Poetry into, I think, my favourite category, Dinden. So that's <laughs> cooking. But sort of lining the shelves, we've got a number of typewriters here. Yeah. The name of the bookstore kind of <laughs> hints to, to this mechanical piece of equipment. But tell me about the typewriters and where they fit into typewriter. <laughs> Name typewriter was way before we started this bookshop. So when he started working at a shipping company, there's a few typewriters in the bookshop that didn't work really, and they were like, "Okay, let's fix it." So they self-taught uh, how to fix a typewriter on YouTube, and now is you know actually a typewriter mechanic. Long began their fascination of typewriters and all things mechanical and a little bit you know unique and antique. Um, so when they started this bookshop, obviously they already have a collection in the possessions. Because our name, we also have our typewriter repair shop. So we do um, repairs and drop-ins, appointments, all these things. But also, it's just a good reminder of whole piece of art that is really, really beautiful. We also do sell typewriter, but they tend to fly off shelf the moment we repair them. Why do you think the printed page is so key when we've got you know competitors and digital? e-readers I suppose what is it about a physical space like this um in offering the opportunity for folks to you know use a riser press and, and do things like that what, why do you think they're so important today I always believe in physical space I always believe in physical copy of things and it tells you so much about a space just by really looking at it we are not dismissing digital uh, space uh but there's a certain poetry to just have a book in your hand uh, another thing I would say with the emerging recommendations algorithms you are tend to be locked in in a recommendations realm these books are all wonderful I've bought a lot of books out of popular recommendations but that means that we are reading the same authors technically from the same storyline uh, for example I personally find that we read a lot of retelling of Greek or Roman myth because that is popular and mainstream because you grew up reading mythology and now it's retelling but that means that you are neglecting a beautiful world of Africans, Asian, Latin American mythology retelling that is also very good but you tend to not read it or authors that are not so famous or classic author that was forgotten so we are searching and striving to stock as much diversity as we can in our very small bookshop and try to be different to everyone else thank you mainly and next time i'm in edinburgh i'll definitely be visiting We stay in the United Kingdom, but now we're heading to Wales to chat with the co-editors of a new title called The Paper. Both Oliver Gabe and Owen Davis explain to me a bit more about the large format magazine and also incredibly funny. The actual title itself, it's bilingual. So you can, we've done the, because you see a lot of sort of Welsh English bilingualism is sort of done where they just repeat the word, but we've sort of crammed, we've managed to cram it together. So it's the paper or a paper, depends how people read it. But yeah, so that's the sort of the title itself. As for the magazine, it is a Welsh magazine and it is made in Wales, but we would argue the themes are pretty universal. So... Yeah, it's for anyone, really. And Owen, did you guys knew each other? I mean, tell us about when did you decide to actually launch a print magazine? Or or perhaps you didn't know, but somehow magic things happened. 
Yeah, no, well, we work on films together as well. So we knew each other through that. Yeah, I just remember all randomly, he started randomly referring to the paper. I didn't know what he was talking about. And I was like, what's the paper? And he was like, oh, it's this idea for a magazine I have. And then he started telling me about it. And then it sounded interesting. So I came aboard as well. And then and then Aaron and then Paul as well. He had it in his head for a bit, I think, before I blundered in. And the plan is to have like a, some sort of theme for every issue, right, Oliver? This one is called The Brain. This one's called The Brain, yeah. So basically, yeah, I should say as well, just on the founding of it, I had this idea called The Paper for a while. But the idea was to come up with a name eventually, but so I was just referring to it as The Paper. But we never actually came up with a name for it, so we just ended up calling it The... We referred to it so much as The Paper, The Paper, The Paper, Let's Start The Paper that we ended up just calling it the paper anyway. We couldn't be bothered to come up with a name in the end. But yeah, the brain. So the reason for that was we were struggling to come up with a theme for the first issue. And the idea was there was a lot of talk about the brain drain, which for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's basically the idea that it's sort of like scientific research, basically. Or it's, well, I you know it is scientific research, but it's based on the idea that all the sort of like people with sort of a brain or any success tend to move out of Wales and never come back. So the idea was the paper that it's made by the people who haven't left. <laughs> and yeah, initially it was going to be very brainy and we were going to have lots of brain orientated articles, but we thought, A, it's boring and then B, maybe no one will want to read it anyway. So, so it's more about the people themselves. So it's a lot about the characters who are here and the people we know, and it's just our friends, really. And Owen, would you say that the magazine has some sort of Welsh sense of humour, if, if there is such a thing, or a kind of self-depreciative in a way, but very funny, I really enjoyed, actually. Yeah, I think so. We kind of can't sort of help but undermine everything we say instantly. So, yeah, definitely ties into that and yeah definitely a sort of self-deprecating approach to it i think welsh people just be embarrassed very easily so we kind of have to after saying something we have to kind of apologize for it or make fun of what we've just said to sort of because we worry about being seen as pretentious or something like that that's an interesting explanation actually and and i think that reflects on the type of stories covered Perhaps give us an example. I mean, there, it's quite, I loved sometimes the randomness of the articles. I loved there was this restaurant, I think a Chinese restaurant somewhere in Wales, I forgot the names, which was quite interesting, a, a nice read, an experience of someone working at, at a chip shop as well. I love kind of that variety. And of course, the top 10 things to do in Cardiff, right? Yeah. We started with saying that the way that we do the most normal magazine in the world, because yeah, as you said, all the articles are about chip shops or train journeys or trying to get therapy and things like that. So, you know, it's really normal topics. But as Owen said, it's all sort of hidden through this humour. It's not all sort of silly stuff. There is a lot of like seriousness to it. But I think it's sort of masked behind the humour, which I suppose is a way of allowing us to talk about more difficult stuff. But yeah, the articles range from Verity's article, which is basically lists all the boys that she works with in the fish and chip shop and the reasons why she wants to have sex with them or not. And then Lowry's article, which is about a hungover train journey she took from Oxford to Carmarthen. And it's sort of, I think she wrote it all initially on her notes, on her phone notes. So that's why it's sort of 
done the way that it is with the punctuation and everything. We have sort of regular features that we want to do. And one of them is always putting a magazine inside the magazine or putting a magazine inside the paper. And this, so this time we looked at Alarm, which was a magazine run by Ian Bourne, who was once known as Britain's most dangerous man. And he ran this sort of like magazine, which was in Swansea, which was sort of hand delivered 6,000 copies a week across the council estates in Swansea. And it's just amazing. Way better than anything we could do. That's why we had to put it in there. Yeah, that's why we put the magazines in there to showcase a better example of print media than we're offering. Yeah, we can piggyback on them. It's a great format as well. It's big. You know, I, I love that. And tell us about the business plan for the magazine. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Please, we, you know, we, 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 need, we need to know that. I know you want to do one issue every year, apparently five of them at least, right? <laughs> yeah, right. a short answer in terms of <laughs> the business plan. Tell us your exact <laughs> business plan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Here we go. Well, I'll be honest, we don't really have one. We sort of just made a magazine because <laughs> we thought it was funny to make one. Now we run a magazine, so I guess we've got to do another one. We started out with the only sort of plan we've got is to do five issues and then collapse the magazine because we think after five it might get a bit repetitive or it might just, I don't know, we've got all the topics that we want to cover in these five issues and after that we'll have done and we'll have said everything we want to say possibly. I'll say that now, we'll never finish doing it. But yeah, that's the sort of loose plan and the size, one a year, yeah. In terms of the size, we just thought it would be funny to make an enormous, it's sort of the whole idea with the magazine, it sort of riffs off, you know, the sort of glossy, trashy magazines that you get in Tesco's and stuff like that. The sort of tabloid, are they tabloid magazines? I don't know what they're called, but you know, like the, your take a breaks and things like that. So yeah. our one is exactly four times bigger than That's Life magazine. Cause we thought, well, we can't beat them in quantity. We'll beat them in sheer mass. Well, we can almost beat them in quantity. There's quite a lot of pages here, you know. I, I, maybe, maybe you can compete with Take a Break. Who knows? <laughs> We're coming for you, Take a Break. Not respect for Take a Break. We don't want to. We don't want to start beef with Take a Break or Last Life. They're kind of like, uh, well, we, we'll start beef with other publications, but not them. There, we we have too much respect for them. I like that, and they're one of the best-selling magazines in the UK. And guys, just final question: Which type of magazines do you like besides Take a Break, of course? But I'm curious. I mean, did you have any inspiration as well with other titles that you've been reading? Because you know, to launch a print title, clearly you guys have some sort of passion for print media in general. Well, I've always pretty much liked magazines. I don't know why. I used to just make magazines with my mates when I was growing up. I had one called The Daily Droid, and me and my mates used to just meet up and just watch Star Wars, and then we'd rewind the video and draw all the droids and draw what we thought were like parts to the droids. It's just that extremely nerdy magazine, but yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I just always kind of liked magazines. I don't know why. I just like stories and they're sort of not quite a book. They're a place for lots of stories. And But yeah, my background, I've been a contributing editor to a magazine called Buffalo Zine for a couple of years now. So yeah, and I, I love those guys. They were my favourite magazine, basically. Well, they are still my favourite magazine. And I sort of emailed David and Adrian one day quite obsessively. And then they sort of invited me in and I never left. So I still do bits for them. They're regulars here on the stack as well. Ah, there you go. See, there you go. <laughs> what about you, Owen? Yeah, I was. I always really liked back issues. I like the kind of looking at old magazines, and I still like doing it now. Sometimes I'll 
go on eBay and someone will be selling like 20 back issues of Film Comment magazine for a fiver and I'll, and I'll get them. I used to go, I remember when I was like a teenager, I'd go into the art centre in Cardiff and they, they had a shop then, which they don't have now. And they would just give me all the like back issues of Little White Lies and things like that. Yeah, so that was, that was sort of where my magazine obsession began. Amazing. Listen, Oliver and Owen, a pleasure talking to you guys. The magazine's fun. It's out now. I mean, I know you can buy in places like Mac Culture on your website as well, right? Yeah, we've got an online shop, thepaperwales.bigcartel.com. We offer a hand delivery service for anyone in Cardiff and the surrounding areas. But please don't order that if you live in Bristol because we then have to hand deliver it. So, yeah, but yeah, please check us out. And thanks so much for having us on. Thank you, Oliver Gabe and Owen Davis. You can buy the first issue of the paper on thepaper.bigcartel.com. And that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Jack Jewers. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpandmonaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. Meanwhile, listen again on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. Leroy Anderson with The Typewriter. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me.